If you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. I had been using a few dating apps casually to meet new people. I've probably made more friends than a significant other, but it is what it is. I did have one pretty crazy experience, though, that kind of turned me off the whole thing for a few months. I matched with a guy that started his message with a blurb from one of my favorite books that I listed on the site. I thought it was pretty impressive because it wasn't a mainstream or popular book either, so this guy either had to read it or looked into it just to send this. To be honest, it was a cheesy mystery romance, so I doubted that he'd actually read it. But to take the time to look into it stood out to me, and I liked that. I'm a sucker for the grossly romantic stuff, so he had already piqued my interest. We started talking, and probably after about a week, he asked me to dinner. I told him that I would go with him if he told me truthfully whether or not he had read the book. And, to my surprise, he admitted that he knew nothing of it until he saw my profile and had looked into it. We both had a good laugh, and I appreciated his honesty, and we set a date. He said that he wanted to pick me up from my place. I lived in an apartment, so I just told him the name of the complex and the building. That way, my exact unit was unknown just in case. And I waited for him out front. I got a text saying that he would be there within two minutes, and I was in awe when I looked up to see not a fancy car or a limo, but a horse-drawn carriage. The guy got out, and while the carriage was gorgeous, I was actually thankful he didn't have on a suit and a tie, as I would have been way underdressed. He had said that this was the proper way to pick me up, since I was a romantic like himself. I thought that it was incredibly sweet and thoughtful, if not a little embarrassing since it was starting to draw attention. It wasn't a bad embarrassment, but like when you're called out at work for doing a good job and you don't expect it. So, he helped me up into the carriage, and we headed to the restaurant, which was in a very upscale part of town. Dinner was fantastic. I had never been to this place, as it normally would be way out of my budget, but after asking to go elsewhere, because I didn't want to assume that he was going to pay or in the off chance the date was a flop, I could pay and leave quickly, he insisted that we should go here, and not to worry about the cost, as he was covering everything. So, I just kind of let it go. He got a bottle of wine, we shared bruschetta, and I had the best shrimp alfredo that I still have ever had in my life. Our personalities clicked so well, we had many things in common, and even our pet peeves had lined up. After dinner, we decided to walk around the plaza where the huge fountain is. 
it was just a lot of fun, and I was pretty into the guy. After about half an hour or so, he said that we could just ride around in the carriage some, but said that he wanted to stop by this place to grab something. I honestly wasn't ready to end the night, so I was more than willing to go with him. His place was probably about 20 minutes out of the plaza area. It was a cute little two-story house with a fenced-in front yard. When we stopped, he said that he would be right back, and then he hopped out. But then the driver of the carriage also hopped out and followed him into the house. I sat there kind of curious, but again was probably clouded by how great the night had really been. I went to pull out my phone and start a text to my friend, and when I started hearing people talking and getting closer, I looked over, and I see my date, the driver, as well as an older woman and four other people walking towards the carriage, smiling. They had all come out of my date's house. I stayed where I was until my date approached, and offered his hand asking if I would step down for a moment. I didn't know what was going on, so I just accepted it and got out. As soon as I stepped out, he introduced me to everyone that was around. This was his family. His dad was the carriage driver the whole time, the older lady was his mom, and the other four people were his siblings. While I did still think that the carriage was romantic, from what I got out of him, he didn't really choose it. That was just their normal means of transportation. None of them had a car. Then, I started getting bombarded by questions from his mother and his two sisters. The mom asked me about flowers, what I liked, my dress size, what type of design I preferred, and said that she would be making it for me. I was confused as to what was going on, and then I saw his mom snatch the daughter by the arm to move her out of the way. I was face to face with my date, until he fell to one knee and held out this gigantic, old looking ring that was pretty clearly not going to fit me anyways. Everyone was standing there, silent, smiling. I didn't know where I was or what to even say. Obviously, I wanted to say no. I just met this guy, but it was so awkward that nothing was coming out of my mouth. When I did finally get my voice back, all I could really muster was, I need to go... I'm guessing they were all really expecting a straight answer by the look on their faces, but my date quickly stood up and brought me back to the carriage. I told him that I could get a ride so as to not be a bother, but he insisted on taking me home. So, we both climbed into the back and his father was in the front. The ride back was pretty damn awkward. We hardly spoke, and when we did, I felt like he was just talking to talk. He mentioned how he knew a house nearby that was for sale. He told me some facts about an old grade school nearby that was now sitting empty, and of course, started talking about the weather. Once we got to my place, he tried walking into the building with me, but I stopped him at the door. He asked me when we would see each other again, and I told him I wasn't sure, but I wanted him to have a good night. He even tried to go in for a kiss, and I just 
backed up and went inside. I called my friend immediately and told her what all had happened, and she agreed that I needed to put an end to that immediately, so as to not lead him on or give him any ideas. We hardly knew each other, and he was already wanting to get married? That is insane. I messaged him that night, and I told him that it wasn't going to work out, and that I wished him the best. That went on longer than it needed to, as he kept pushing me that I was wrong, since the date seemed to go so well. This guy really acted like this dating site was some kind of planned marriage or something. I basically explained to him, like I would my grandparents, how it was used. He was still adamant that I was the one and started spouting off some religious stuff that I couldn't follow. So, I basically ended it at, We're done here. Do not message me again. Good luck in the future. I figured that that would be the end of it. But other than the random text here and there, he also tried to add me on Facebook. And when that wouldn't work, he tried adding my friends telling them lies about things that I apparently told him on our date. He even tracked me down on some future dates that I had gone on with other guys, and even a business lunch claiming that I cheated on him, and called me some other colorful names. Thankfully, he didn't stick around when he started being threatened by my friends and co-workers. I did have one date leave during the event, saying he didn't want to be involved, but I can't say that I blame him. While this was all very stressful and ruined some potential things for me, the worst part of it all was when I saw him standing out front of my complex, just staring up at it. He still had no idea which one I was in, and I think that that was probably the only thing that stopped him from going any further. I was just worried that one day he would be out there as I was leaving or coming home, and then I worried what his other intentions were. At one point, though, he did add my ex, and we were on good terms, so he told me about what he was telling him, too. My ex actually said a few things back to him. I don't know what exactly, because he wouldn't tell me, but I never heard from him again so it's probably best that I don't know. I'm sorry if this wasn't all that creepy, but there was definitely a mix of emotion during this time. So, again, it was pretty stressful. I do still use the same dating app, and I'm still a sucker for romantic stuff, but I've made sure to drive myself from then on. Back when I was a kid, there was a group of us kids that pretty much spent every day of our childhood together. For the most part, it was myself, Chuck, and Billy. The three of us were like brothers. We did everything together, camped in each other's backyards, spent way too many hours of our days off together. Billy ended up moving away sophomore year, but beyond that, we literally grew up together from elementary school all the way through the year where we all graduated, and Billy actually came back home so we could all have a party when he and Chuck finally finished high school. My point is, we were inseparable best friends, and we're all still in touch with each other. 
Now, while the three of us were obviously really close, there was a fourth person in our group for a little while, and that was a little girl named Katie. Katie had lived on our block for a few years before we met, and the whole time that I knew her, it was just her and her dad that lived at the house. He was a single parent. None of us had actually met her mother. Katie was my age, so a year older than the other two, and she was nothing short of a bit strange. Though, we did end up figuring out why when all was said and done, and nowadays I actually feel bad for how we treated her for being weird. I met Katie when I was around eight. She was, to the best of my knowledge, the only girl in the neighborhood that was in our age range. So, when we met, it was pretty obvious that she was going to latch on to our trio. We were eight and nine-year-old boys, so we were a bit annoyed that there was going to be a girl with us, since we were still at that age where girls were a foreign concept. At first, Katie was fine with the three of us, though. She was interested in some of the things that we were, and she was willing to play our dumb games. We would sword fight with our toy swords, and she was willing to jump in and take a few hits. And she could actually hold her own. She was interested in animals, so she was willing to help me dig up my yard to look for bugs. Basically, she was one of us for the most part. Except when she wasn't herself. Katie was fine probably 95% of the time, but then, sometimes, she would just be a bit out there. Like she was a completely different person. Those times where she would be different, she would sometimes get violent, angry, or just really, really strange. I know that that's vague, and I'm not going to get into all of the instances where things were wrong, but... I'll describe at least one of them. The first event of note was one day while we were at Chuck's taking turns playing the Super Nintendo. This was typically something we did once a week. We weren't allowed to stay cooped up in the house every day, so it was always super exciting for all of us. I think we were playing one of the Mario games. I'm not sure which one, and it was Katie's turn. Katie wasn't great at that game but she usually took her losses with grace and laughed about it each time she messed up. Not this time. This time, she was playing and she misjudged a jump and ended up dying. Obviously, when this happened, we all chuckled as we did when one of us made a mistake and died, but she didn't. She had a flat stare as she stood up, and by the time the game took us back to the level select screen... Katie had literally jumped up and stomped down on the Nintendo. She smashed it with all of her body weight, and while the console was mostly okay, they actually built those things with this possibility in mind, something I learned later in life, the game ended up bending and snapping in half. Obviously, we all freaked out, and Chuck started bawling. The Super Nintendo was his pride and joy, Katie then looked over at Chuck and put her hands around his throat, literally choking him, and she was telling him to stop crying, that he needed to grow up, 
that he wasn't a baby and if he wanted to cry, she would give him something to cry about. Billy and I jumped into action and pulled her away from Chuck, leaving this whole situation a confusing disaster, and Chuck just sitting there looking terrified. Chuck's dad came in to figure out what had happened, and we had to explain to him what Katie had done. Strangely enough, Katie actually agreed with our statements, and she was willing to own what happened. She said that she was angry, that she wanted to destroy it, so she did. She said that Chuck was crying over nothing, and that he needed to grow up. I honestly don't know what really happened after that, because Chuck's dad told us to go home, but I do know that Katie's dad bought him a new game, and Katie wasn't really allowed at Chuck's house anymore after that happened. In fact, I don't think Chuck and Katie really spent any time together after this, and for good reason. I don't really want to get into all the events that Katie caused, because this story would go on for ages, but I do want to go over one of the last things that ended up happening. The thing that I think may have caused Katie to be odd. This was around a year after the whole thing with Chuck happened. I was on my own that day, and went out into the woods that were behind our neighborhood. I was out there, pretending that I was some kind of adventurer when who else would I see but Katie. I went over to talk to her, but as I approached, I noticed something a bit weird. Katie was sitting on the ground, her back against a tree, and she was eating a sandwich while talking to no one in particular. I walked up to her to ask her who she was talking to, and when she noticed me, she jumped and screamed that I should not be there. I was obviously taken aback and a bit scared, and I asked her what I had done wrong. She then started going on about how I was upsetting her mother, how she was having dinner with her and I wasn't invited. I kind of just looked around and mentioned that she was alone, that her mom wasn't there. She flipped out. She started screaming at me aggressively that her mother lived in the woods, that I wasn't allowed to be anywhere near her mother, and that I needed to go home before she hurt me. Again, I was confused, but I just said that I was sorry and that I didn't know. Strangely enough, Katie shifted from psychotic and ready to pounce to almost sympathetic. She said it was okay, that if I was really sorry that she wouldn't be mad at me anymore and that I was welcome to sit with them. I hesitantly agreed with her, mostly because I will admit that at this time in our relationship, I did have a crush on her, so sitting with her was something I was more than willing to do. Yes, I had a crush on Katie, in spite of her random, strange behavior. I sat at one of the trees and just watched her eat her sandwich and talk. She was talking about school, about all the things that she was going through, what she was going to be doing that week. She wasn't talking to me, though. It was like she was just talking to no one in particular, like she was basically telling her mother about her life. I was a bit curious, so I waited for an opening and then asked her where her mother was. This is where things turned to haunting. 
Katie looked at me and started crying. Like, full-on sobbing. I kind of freaked out. I, I didn't mean to make her cry, so I scooted over to her and I gave her a hug and asked her what was wrong. Katie then pulled away and told me that her mother lived in the woods because, one night, she and her father got into an argument and her dad hurt her. I will say that at this time we were ten, so this was a whole new thing to me. My parents were always happily married, so I didn't understand the concept of my dad hurt my mom. That idea was impossible to me. I asked how he hurt her, why he hurt her, and so forth, basically interrogating this poor crying girl. She stopped crying, pushed away from me, and then told me something that makes my blood run cold to this day. She looked me in the eyes and said, My mom's not really living out here. She's dead. My dad killed her. He killed her and buried her out here in the woods. I saw him do it. He doesn't know that I saw it, though. He doesn't know that I know what he did. He doesn't know that I watched him choke her until she died. He doesn't know that I watched him dig this hole that I watched him bury her. I watched him do it. She kind of started just rambling all of this, and shifting between crying and not crying and looking back. She was clearly traumatized. I honestly think that this is what caused her to be so strange and aggressive. She saw this horrifying event and didn't know how to process it. Of course, I told my parents what she said. Being my age, I didn't know what else to do, but I told them what she said to me. Of course, my parents called the cops, and they reported what Katie had said, and all of it was this huge mess. The cops ended up doing an investigation, talking with Katie about everything, taking reports from her and her father, asking me about everything, and then they did the excavation. This is where things went from weird to just absolutely devastating. They dug up the spot in the woods, and they actually did find the body of a woman. Katie wasn't lying or making any of it up. Her dad actually had killed her mother, and he actually did bury her in the woods, which tells me that she really did watch all of this happen. To wrap this up, Katie ended up leaving town to live with someone else in her family. Her father was arrested, and all of this was my fault because she trusted me and I told my parents. Obviously, I did the right thing. Her mother deserved justice, and looking back at it as an adult, not telling anyone would have been the worst thing to do. That said, I will never let go of the fact that I changed a huge portion of this girl's life. She was a bit weird, but she was my friend, and I did like her. And because I told my parents what she told me, her whole life changed direction. And I never saw her again. That day where she told me about what happened was the last time we actually ever spoke. I never got to say goodbye or anything. I do hope that her life went back to normal after this, or as normal as it could be. I hope that she found peace because... She deserved it. And I hope that someday 
she and I can talk again. So I can tell her that I'm sorry for all that she went through. Katie, if you ever read or hear this story, please know that I've never forgotten you, and I mention your name every single time that I pray. I liked going on walks late at night or real early in the morning, like midnight or 3am. I preferred this because I could be alone with just my thoughts or music and enjoy the atmosphere. The weather was typically perfect around this time for nothing more than shorts, a light jacket, and some running shoes. I loved having music on one side and then listening to the wind blow around the leaves and tree branches. It was quite peaceful and a great way to unwind and decompress, especially after a rough day. Nine times out of ten, it was at the same park, same walking trail as well. I had it down that I could probably walk the entirety of it with my eyes closed, but sometimes I wanted to change it up and would go to a different park a little further away. The first one was also close enough for me to walk to, so I didn't even drive there. I lived in a great community with very little crime, so I didn't feel unsafe being out there that late. However, I did have a few situations that arose that made me protect myself a little more when I did go out. This occurred back in the autumn months. It was around 1 in the morning at this time, and it was pitch dark. At the beginning of the path, there was light along it coming from the moon and the streetlights, but... The further in you went, the darker it got as the trees blocked out the light. I usually had a small compact flashlight with me just in case I needed it, but other than my phone, that's all that I had on me. I was walking the path as normal, getting into the music and zoning out, when I started hearing what sounded like whimpering. Not like from an animal, but a person. Like they were holding back from crying. Like I said... The area of this park was pretty upscale. There wasn't a lot of crime, and thinking back, I don't remember ever hearing any reports of something happening in that park either. So, when I heard this at first, I just ignored it, thinking maybe someone was needing some time alone too. As I continued walking, the whimpering got louder, until I heard a cracking sound. I made a mental note of the area that I was in, but again, I kept walking. However, my curiosity got the best of me when I started hearing crying and an alarming conversation. I could hear a woman crying and saying things like, I'm sorry, please, just stop, please, let's just go home. I could also hear a very angry man saying, You need to shut the hell up, among other unpleasantries. I started slowing down and turned off my music so I could pinpoint where they were. As I looked through the trees, there was a small opening where I could see the silhouette of two people. I had managed to walk right past them, and I assumed neither of us noticed each other. I stopped where I was and leaned onto the closest tree, hoping that they would continue to think they were alone. I watched as I saw the guy drag this woman by her wrist deeper into the trees, He then grabbed her by the hair, yelling something at her, and shoved her to the ground. After some shuffling, 
I saw him pick something up off the ground, like a stick or a tree branch that had fallen. The last thing I heard from him was something along the lines of, You brought this on yourself. Now, in case anyone asks why I didn't do something sooner, or do more, I myself was a small woman. I was 5'4", 190 pounds at the time. There was no way I was going to be able to do anything to this guy. I may not have been able to see him clearly, but he had to easily be 6 foot, 2-300 pounds. He had a similar build to my boyfriend at the time, so that's what I was basing it off of. I definitely did not want to leave this woman out there with him, knowing that this could easily be the last terrifying moments of her life. So, I dialed 911 on my phone and held it with the screen facing my chest, in hopes of blocking out the light. Then, I just yelled the first thing that came to mind. What the hell is going on? I heard the woman gasp and the man stood up and froze. I started saying the address of the park out loud, hoping that the operator would hear it too. They both went completely silent, and I was holding as still as I could, praying that this guy would not see me. Then, the guy pointed at her and said, Next time I catch you, you're effing dead. And took off through the other side of the trees. I waited several more seconds, making sure that the guy didn't come back, and then picked the phone up to tell the operator what was going on. They assured me that they already had someone on the way. I started to approach the woman as she asked, Is someone there? I told her it was okay and that the cops were already on the way. I walked with her back to the entrance so that they could find us, all while still on high alert that this guy could come back to try to attack us both. Thankfully, if he did plan on doing that, the cops beat him to it. I told them what I saw and heard, but the lady claimed that she didn't know the guy. I don't think the cops believed her either, since I told them I heard her say something about going back home. Of course, they can only do so much since he didn't stick around, and she didn't want to go to the hospital. Regardless, I'm glad I did something because I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I hadn't and it was actually on the news the next day. After the woman hugged and thanked me, one officer agreed to follow her home, and since I walked there, the second officer took me home, which I was fine with. The mood was definitely ruined for that walk, nor did I even feel comfortable being there. I don't know whatever happened to her, but I hope she's okay and that he got caught. As for me... It took a few months before I walked that park at night again, but no matter where I go, you will no longer find me without pepper spray and a pocket knife. I actually have two dating stories that should be pretty quick, hopefully, and they're not necessarily horror as in scary but their horror in the sense that they were horrifying and turned me off online dating pretty much altogether. I don't think much backstory is really needed for me, beyond the fact that I was in my mid-twenties, have never really had luck with meeting people that I care to really spend time with, and I wasn't exactly picky with who I swiped match on. When I say that I wasn't picky... I mean that as long as they were a guy above a 2 on a scale of 10, 
and didn't throw out any major super creep vibes, I was pretty willing to give them a try. I know that this may sound pretty dumb to some people, but I'm the kind of person that is really willing to give anyone a shot to see if we vibe, if that makes sense. Anyways, on to the first date story. I had matched with a guy named Jake on one of the apps, and he seemed like a pretty straightforward guy. His profile was your basic mid-twenties dude that was into tech and fitness, two things that were actually bonuses for me. He and I spoke for a while, sent a few photos, had a few phone calls, and he was pretty much the most average guy I've ever spoken with. I was totally okay with average. In fact, that's kind of what I was looking for more than anything. We agreed to meet up for lunch at a small diner-like restaurant, and we set a date. The day comes, I show up first, and I get the table for the two of us. As I'm sitting there, just waiting, I get a text from Jake saying that he's had some car troubles and that he's going to be a few minutes late, but he was 100% not ghosting me. That was fine with me. I get it. I've had my shares of why won't my rust bucket start moments. I tell him I'm at the table, and that it's totally fine, that I understand, and so forth and so on. After about 20 or so more minutes, he finally does walk into the restaurant and to our table. But he looks like he's having a panic attack. He's sweating. It was early spring, so it was still pretty chilly outside, and he just looked distressed and disheveled overall. He sits down, and immediately just kind of looks like he's lost all sense of the situation. Like something has happened, and he's freaking out. But he can't make it not obvious that he's freaking out. I ask him if he's okay and what's going on, and he kind of just starts looking at me like he's about to start sobbing. As soon as this happens, I hear shouting. I see several cops running into the restaurant, telling him to get down on his knees and subsequently arresting him. It took me a few minutes to convince them that I was already there at the restaurant, and that I was not with him prior to the minute he walked in. Thankfully, the host and server could vouch for me on this. As come to find out, on his way to the date, Mr. Jake had actually hit someone with his car and then kept going. I don't mean like he sideswiped or bumped somebody else's vehicle, I mean he literally hit a person and ran over their leg, causing major injury and then kept going to meet up with me at the restaurant. I'm assuming I was supposed to be an alibi, or I guess I would have been if he hadn't already been being followed and looked for by the police. So, obviously, that date ended pretty quickly with him being shoved in the back of a police cruiser and me just staring at the floor like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Thankfully, the waiter was sympathetic and she didn't make me pay for my drink, which was nice. I guess at least I got a free Dr. Pepper out of the situation. The second one is one that's not necessarily scary, but it's still what I would consider a dating horror story. It was, once again, a story where I met up with a guy that I had met on one of those dating apps. This one was a dude named Chris. 
And Chris's profile was a bit above the others that I looked at on the apps, because Chris was actually really attractive, and he was all about staying fit, as he claimed he was former military. Now, I've never been with a military guy, but I do know a few of them. My brother, for one. And I have found that most of them are fairly tolerable, and even pretty fun to hang out with. Talking with Chris went pretty smoothly, at first, though he seemed to have a really strict, I-can't-chat-with-you-before-8pm kind of schedule about him, which, admittedly, had me initially concerned that he may have been a married man looking for an affair. I figured I would at least see it through to the first date, and see if I could spot an indentation on his ring finger, or try to ask him what it was all about. I mean, it could have been that he had a job that he worked until then and couldn't have his phone with him, or maybe he just had other adult responsibilities that he had to see to. I was willing to be patient with him and to get answers, so we scheduled a date for dinner. That 8pm rule made it kind of hard to do anything else, and I was looking forward to it. Once again, I was early to the date, and I got a table for us. Then, when he finally shows up to the date, he walks in with another woman. I was a bit confused and taken aback, thinking he really had the audacity to bring someone else to a date like that, but it was even more awkward when he sat down and said, It's very nice to finally meet you in person. This is my mother. This man literally brought his mother on the date without warning me. Now, mind you, if his mother had needed his care or been disabled, I would have had no issue with it, assuming he probably would have informed me beforehand. But this woman was quite fit, and definitely able to take care of herself. And she was definitely there because she wanted to be there. Which was even weirder. At no point did Chris stop and think or act like this was a weird thing. He just kept up the conversation as if she wasn't there. Then, it hit the apex of, oh my god, this is so freaking awkward, when it came time to order. He tried to order one thing, and his mother told him no, then told the waiter something else. When the waiter walked away, he tried to tell his mom that he wanted the other thing, almost whining like a little kid, but she told him that it was too fatty and that he needed to watch his carbs. I just kind of sat there like, what? Was this woman really ordering for her adult former military son like this while he was on a date with another woman? Again, I know that this wasn't scary, but it was definitely my, nope, I'm done with this moment. The entire date was so strange, and I pretty much ghosted him after this. I tried to think that maybe I was just being shallow about the whole thing, but it was too much. Chris was actually my last date through any of those apps, and I kind of just embraced being single for a while, for reasons that I think are pretty obvious.
off the bat, I'm acknowledging that the way that this story happened is the result of me doing a dumb teen girl thing, so don't judge. Recently, I went to Walmart alone to get some thong underwear as I wanted some, and my mom doesn't like the idea of them. Hence, I decided to make it a little secret mission. I had everything timed out and even tried to wear some sort of disguise. I also decided that I wanted to act not like an amateur while in the store. I was just having fun planning it all out at that point. Anyways, while in Walmart, two different people in two different sections of the store assumed that I worked there. They asked me if I knew the store, if the store had a certain product, etc. I really don't think I looked like an employee. Though I joked about having a disguise, I was simply wearing a black t-shirt. Somehow, did me thinking about looking like I wasn't an amateur make two different people think that I worked there? I actually want to add a bit of a personal note to this story. This one was submitted to me, but I wanted to let this submitter know I've actually had the same thing happen to me, and I agree with them. It is super awkward. It was actually just the other day, Patience and I went to the store, we were heading towards the self-checkout, and some random lady came up to me with a container of sugar cookies, saying she didn't want it, and was asking if she should just give it to somebody or put it down, and I looked at her like, I, actually, I looked at her and said, I don't want it, I don't, I'm not gonna buy it. And she literally backed off saying, oh, you don't work here? I looked nothing like I worked at Walmart. I was wearing khaki pants, because I do, typically, but I was wearing a red shirt. So, it, it's weird and awkward. And I agree with this, and that's why I included this story in this video. So, thank you. I started having these thoughts a couple of years ago. What if when we dream, we travel to parallel universes? When my dreams were showing me stuff that my simple mind could not possibly make up on its own, lately when I've been dreaming, I believe I can travel to an alternate universe, but it's like the people around me can't see me, but they can feel my presence and they can hear me. I visited this place quite a few times in my dreams. Everything is so vivid, and I feel everything. In these dreams, when I'm in this universe, these agents are always trying to capture me. I hear them, and I see them, but they can't see me, and I'm super quiet when they're around. They look like FBI agents, honestly but they have this kind of weird technology that picks up my frequency, I guess, because they always show up trying to capture me, and I have to hide with the other people who are guiding me where to hide from their government. Now, stay with me. I've always been told that I need to write a book or movies with my dreams because they're so surreal detailed, and they have got to have some kind of meaning. So, when this alternate government tries to capture me, I always try to find a body of water, because if I can breathe underwater, then I know that I'm dreaming and kind of put myself at ease. 
This morning, at 7.30am until 1036 I dreamt of going to that universe. I was chatting with the people hanging out when the agents showed up. They had weapons, knives that they pulled up to the people's house that I was at. They said, where's the being? We picked up her cell phone location. We immediately went to hide in some secret compartment inside the walls of the house. The government wouldn't leave. They barricaded the house and said that they are not leaving until they surrendered me. The people told me that, since I can't be seen, to run out the back door and hide in a nearby tent that grows vegetables. I did what they said, and then the agents came looking around everywhere, poking every object with a knife. One agent actually glided the knife across my thigh through the tent, but said that he didn't smell any of my scent, so it was a cold trail. <laughs> Sigh of relief. I told the people that I need to go back to my home because it's too dangerous there, because those agents were after me. So, I jumped in a body of water. I tried to breathe underwater like I usually do, and I couldn't. I immediately started freaking out and swam to the surface. When I got to the surface, I saw the agent waving the little frequency thing around, and then he said, I got you now. We fell off the ocean, if that makes sense, and then I started falling and he was falling with me, still trying to locate me. As I'm falling, I could see the scenery changing erratically around me and under me. It was like my body was falling through different dimensions. Anyways, as I'm falling, I keep squeezing my eyes shut as hard as I can to try to wake myself up. And that's what usually helps me when I try to wake myself up knowing that I'm dreaming. I feel my body trying to wake up, but I'm still falling and he's right behind me. Next thing you know, he slaps some kind of wristwatch on me and said, finally. As the watch is ticking, I'm trying frantically to get it off of me as I'm falling, also trying to wake myself up. I finally got the watch off. He went into another dimension and I felt my soul drop back into my body, where I immediately woke up. Now, I've had many dreams like this, but only up until recently is when I've been visiting these places, and their government is trying to capture me. I'm so scared that if I get captured in my dream, then in this world I'll be deemed either dead or in a comatose state. Has anyone else ever had any experience like this? I have had these very vivid, surreal dreams since I was five, and I remember all of them, and could literally write a movie and countless books. I've dreamt where God has told me things I never knew, and I used to always have Satan on my back in my dreams until about a month ago. I literally killed him in my dreams, which I've never been able to do, and he's been messing with me since I was five. So... What does this all mean? Hello, Raven. I've been contemplating for a long time about telling this true story. Fifty years ago, I had a car accident with my wife, and she died. After fifty years, it's still tough to think about it, but a lot of paranormal happenings happened because of it. 
if you want to use this on one of your paranormal videos, you can. Please tell me if you want to. I have no proof that this happened except my words, so here's the story. This November 17th, 2023, will be the 50th anniversary of my wife dying in a car accident where I was the driver. I spent about a week in the hospital after the car rolled over me when I was thrown out of it. While I was in the hospital, family and friends would visit me. One of the friends was Maria, who was a good friend with both Wendy and I. Later on, she told me that when she visited me in the hospital that day, something came over her and she started getting feelings for me that she had never had before. A few months later, we were at a mutual friend's house drinking alcohol, which I used to kill the pain of me losing Wendy for 30 years of chaos. We got to talking, and she made a move on me, and ended up at her trailer for the night. We went into her bedroom, laid on the bed, and all of a sudden, we start hearing a loud heartbeat coming from the outside of the trailer. Boom, boom, boom. Then, we started hearing scratching on the inside walls so loud that I thought Maria had a dog in her closet. I turned the light on and there was no closet. I looked in the hallway where the bathroom was on the other side of the wall. I looked at it and it was empty. Well, that definitely ruined the night that we had planned on. <laughs> I kind of tried to stay away from Maria after that, but we hooked up a couple of weeks later. I was staying with my grandparents so I couldn't take her anywhere, so we hooked up at a friend's house. She was taking me home and a car started following us. I had wrecked my car, so I was carless for a while, so she was driving. We drove around a little bit and the car kept following us. I told her to go back to Larry's, so I got out and looked at the car following her, and it was a dark car, but for some reason, I couldn't see it. I couldn't clearly see it for some crazy reason with the streetlight right there at the house. She went to Larry's and ran into the house. Larry, Ricky, and Maria heard the car pull up to Larry's house and heard somebody get out and the door close. Ricky grabbed the knife that he had at all times and ran to the door and opened it. There was nothing there. Nothing at all. Well, I hate to tell you this, but... I kind of started to stay away from Maria, and she came by one night to ask for help from me because she told me that Wendy was trying to possess her to be with me. She told me when she looked at me in the hospital, she fell in love with me. She never had those feelings for me before the accident. She asked for my help. I told her I would see what I could do. She drove me to Larry's house. I never stepped foot in her trailer again after the first night. We got over there and went into Larry's room to see what I could do. We sat on the bed, and all along the wall on the other side of the bed, blue sparks started to go back and forth along the wall. I started saying, Wendy, you've died, and asking her to leave Maria alone. I looked at Maria and started to get turned on by her, but... I felt the presence of Wendy, not Maria. I hate to tell you this, but I jumped up and had Larry take me home. I stayed away from her, because it was too strange for me since I had just lost Wendy six months before that. 
she caught up with me about a year later. Maria told me that she had a psychic helper out a few months after we saw each other. He told Maria the accident was so horrific, the car blew up, that she didn't realize that she had died. He told Wendy to go to the light and gave Maria a necklace with garlic and sage to wear for five days, and it crazily worked. Years later, Wendy came to me after my grandpop crossed over, and she said that she saw my pops and my grandma together. She told me that she will be the first in line when I pass over. All I could do was cry. I don't have any proof that this happened, but I would swear on my soul that this all happened to me. 50 years ago. This is another long one, because I'll be addressing several elements that relate to the haunted dorm room. When I finished telling my friend who had never seen a UFO, in the story But Wait There's More, about my own early experience... Our conversation moved to the other unexplained phenomena. He mentioned the thing below the dam at the park, and I instantly knew what he was talking about. We had attended the same university, though we didn't actually meet until ten years later. Neither of us knew what the thing was, but we knew where it was, and that there were times that you hurried past, and there were times that you did not go there. Though, by daylight... It was usually perfectly innocuous, and he mentioned encountering a ghost in Bryles Hall. My first weird experience that may be related occurred the year that Baby, the kleptomaniac philodendron, was first planted. My roommate and I noticed that a door at the top of the stairwell on the fifth floor was unlocked, so of course, we had to explore. It went to the roof where we discovered to the right a kitchenette, all dusty and disused, and a door to what had been a rooftop sun deck a long time ago. To the left was a blank cinder block wall, and a single door with its jam set about knee height. It already having been established that we were nosy, we tried the knob and the door opened into blackness. I helped my roommate step up to the jam, and she started to step inside though we couldn't see a thing and I suddenly had the overwhelming sensation that there was nothing, nothing, under her feet. I grabbed her belt, told her to stop, and we went back down to the room for flashlights. This was long before cell phones. When we got up to the little room again and shown the flashlights inside, we discovered that Bryles Hall once had an elevator, and the shaft was still there, standing empty, all the way to the ground more than 50 feet below. The thing is, my roommate swore that she had felt something solid under her foot when she stepped inside. She was really freaked out to see that there was nothing there, and couldn't explain what she'd felt. So, what does this have to do with the ghost? Just let me continue. A couple of years later, I was living in the dorm room on the northwest corner of the fifth floor, just below the old sun deck. One day, my sweetmate had a helium balloon that went missing from her room. Somehow, it had gotten through two locked doors and our shared bathroom, 
and made its way to my room where I found it wedged between the hanging pot of a certain kleptomaniac philodendron and the glass pane of the window. We joked that Baby, the philodendron, liked balloons and just let him keep it. But there was other oddness that happened in that room. My sweetmate would commonly hear someone walking around in my room on weekends that I went home. Not gonna lie, I figured that she was hearing things, or that it had to do with recreational pharmaceuticals, but she was adamant and pretty freaked out about hearing footsteps in an empty room. Mind you, sometimes I had the impression that someone had been in my room. Things were moved or disappeared only to reappear later. It wasn't my sweetmate. I kept the bathroom door locked, and that was a deadbolt. It could have been the RA, resident assistant, who was in charge of the floor and doing inspections. She wasn't supposed to come in like that, but who else had a key? I set traps, inconspicuous things that would be disturbed if someone came into my room when I was gone. They were never moved. Yet the footsteps and other disturbances continued. And then there was the night that someone climbed into bed with me. I woke to the sensation of the mattress sinking as a warm body lay down at my back. I was facing the window and stared into the darkness, too scared to move. Gradually, as the sky grew pale with dawn, the sensation of weight, warmth, and solidity faded away. I got up, checked my locks, and got ready for class. Just a case of hypnagogic hallucinations, right? I convinced myself of this, too. Then came the night that three men and a baby first aired on TV. This was obviously back in the dark ages of the 1980s, before PCs and streaming video. So, if you wanted to see a particular show, you needed to stake out one of the three TVs early. And if it was on at the same time as MacGyver or Beauty and the Beast, forget it. The lounges were standing room only. Any fellow dinosaurs reading this may recall the rumor of a ghost glimpsed in a window as the character and three men and a baby were moving from one room to another. The rumor sparked the sharing of other supposed hauntings, and one of the RAs brought up the story of a young woman who ended herself up in that rooftop kitchenette at the top of the stairs decades before. Her room? You guessed it. She had been living in the room that I occupied that year. Just a random confluence of phenomena, right? I pretty much thought so too. Until I went back to my room and thought to knock on the door of the girl across the hall. She hadn't been downstairs to hear the stories, and I hadn't said anything about my experiences either. So... She shouldn't have had any reason to make something up. I asked her if anything odd had happened in her room. She gave me a sketched-out look, and asked if I remembered the occasion that I had seen her smudging her room with sage. I did recall this, but I had no clue of the purpose of that practice at the time. She explained that she had been smudging her room because someone who wasn't there had climbed into bed with her the night before. Some answers to anticipated questions. No recreational pharmaceuticals were involved, except maybe on the part of the sweetmate. Most of my friends didn't even drink. We found college to be a liminal experience on its own without any mood-altering substances involved. 
No, this is not fictional. Every part of it's true. My friend who encountered the ghost was living in the dorm as part of a two-week summer program for high school students. He didn't see anything, but he and another of his friends sensed something was there. They and the group that they were exploring with ran away without further investigation. And yes, I have submitted the story about Baby the Kleptomaniac Philodendron, and it's in a video that I did last week. The unexplained video. Alright, everybody with a knowledge of cryptids. I'm hunting for information on a cryptid that I'm not even sure has been marked down yet. There has been multiple sightings in my small town of Merrill, Michigan, something of which doesn't match a single cryptid I've read about yet, and I've read a lot. I personally have not seen it, so sorry for breaking that rule, but I have three witnesses that I would put my life on, and I really want to know about this thing. The first witness is my uncle, and he's the main reason that I'm on this hunt. When he was young, he used to take night walks in the neighbor's woods, right before sunrise, as long as it was dark enough so no neighbors could see him. He would take a very dim flashlight with him on purpose, and if he thought anyone saw him or was following him, he would put his hand over it and hide in the woods' darkness. He claims that the main things that scared him were the raccoons and opossums. He never had problems with people on his walk, but he still knew the risks of trespassing. Though his story isn't very exciting, he got the best view of the creature out of all three witnesses, claiming that it only stood a few feet tall and had legs bent backwards with large, fly-like eyes, and the rest of it looked like a kangaroo and monkey hybrid. There are many cryptids that are close in visuals, but none of them have thick hair and big eyes like this one had. I showed him drawings of other look-alike cryptids, and he's dismissed every one of them. He claimed that he was walking out of the woods just as it was getting brighter. The sky was gray and the woods were still dark from the trees, but the road was almost visible the whole mile. On his way across the road back to the house, he saw that thing a little ways down the road. It's said to have crossed the road in two steps, despite being short, and disappearing into the woods that my uncle had just exited. The second witness is deceased now. He was a natural conspiracist, so it came as no surprise when I heard his story years ago. Though his description was much less valuable, I have the belief that this was the same cryptid. A couple miles away from the first incident... This man said that he had seen a small ape-like figure jump almost to the top of the trees. This is the least resourceful sighting because I can't ask this man to answer anything he left out or to give any more information. This is all I have for his sighting. The third is my grandma's good friend, Sylvia, from a state away. Every 4th of July, they park a camper in my grandma's yard and stay for a week or two to visit all the friends and family they left behind when they moved out of state. And keep in mind, these folks have never even heard the stories of this creature, and for this story, I was in the house as it happened. 
Sylvia's husband had a few beers with my grandparents. There's a big tree on the side of a barely used road, and he walked over to it to use the bathroom. As he was going on this tree, he noticed the same big, black bug eyes that my uncle had seen. It was staring him down from the tree line across the road, and as soon as he focused on it, the cryptid backed up into the brush and was gone. Me and my uncle freaked out about this, as you would, because it had been six or so years since someone we knew spotted this thing. As crazy as it sounds, me and my whole family believe and know this creature. We've even narrowed down where it possibly calls home, based on how far the sightings go. Sorry for the long and multiple paragraphs, but if you have any idea of what might be lurking around mid-Michigan, please, leave a name of a cryptid or description or drawing. My family and I all want to know what so many of us have seen. Any ideas? I will say that there are more sightings. These are just the most reliable, believable, and descriptive. I know I don't usually do specific story content warnings, but I will for this one, as it does contain mentions of sexual assault. None of it is detailed, and none of it is uh, aggressively um, described or uh, an active thing, it's just a, it's a mention of it, so... Again, I know I don't usually do these warnings, but I figured I should for this because of that, so... If you can't handle that, or if that's not something you want to hear about... I recommend going to the description and skipping this story. The number and author of the story is in the top right corner of the screen. You can use that to skip the story in the description again, if you need to. This happened a long time ago, but it's a story that could happen today. It was in the fall of 1979. I was a senior in high school and was 17 years old. I didn't drive or have a driver's license at the time, so I took the school bus. Most of my peers either had cars or went to school with friends who had cars. My friends who did drive or have cars didn't live close enough to drive me, and nearly all of those on the bus were sophomores or juniors, and were younger than me. This guy on the bus was about the same age or a year younger. There was a guy on the bus who lived in a group home who apparently was troubled. Very troubled. One day he came and sat with me on the bus. For a while it was okay as we would have normal conversations, and then he started to make me feel uncomfortable and touched my thigh. I asked him not to do this, and he complied, looking at me like I had rejected him. The next day, I sat in the front seat by the driver so that he wouldn't touch me. He didn't for a couple of days, and then he was all over me. I told him to stop. I slapped his hand away from my private area. He tried to touch me again, and I yelled out for him to stop. He complied, but looked at me like he was sad that I had rejected him. No one came to my aid. This guy did not care that other people were around. The bus driver the next day banished him to the back of the bus. Normally, he got off before I did. This particular day, he stayed on the bus as we had a substitute driver. He was in the back, but 
I had a bad feeling that he was going to get off at my stop. When I got off, I started to run as fast as I could. Near the bus stop was the home of a good friend of my grandmother's, who I could have run to for help, but she was out. The car was gone. So I started to run and started screaming for help. I turned around and saw him running, but then he turned around laughing like it was a joke. He got back on the bus. I was afraid that this guy would find out where I lived. I was also afraid that this guy was going to assault me. The next day, I knew that this was going to happen again. This time, my grandmother's friend was home. Her home was about 100 to 200 yards from the bus stop. I ran towards her house screaming for help with this guy running after me. The regular driver, who was a man, yelled at him that this wasn't his stop. He turned around and got back on the bus. My grandmother's friend, who had opened the door as the guy got back on the bus. This all happened within seconds. She offered to walk me home, which was about two short blocks, but I said I was okay. I told her what had happened. The next day, this guy was watched closely to make sure that he got off at his bus stop. It had come to the intention of the school that this guy had gotten off at other bus stops and had chased other girls. He had also sexually harassed another classmate as well, touching them inappropriately. He didn't care if people were around either, and there were witnesses to his behavior. I later found out that a classmate had made the mistake of going out on a date with him. This guy tried to sexually assault her. She got away from him, and then she broke up with him. This guy then tried to break into the window of her bedroom, and police were called. He was taken away by police, and he never came back to school. He was removed from the group home due to his behavior. Supposedly, he didn't sexually assault or attack anyone, but I really do wonder about that. He had been seen peering into windows. He supposedly was sent to a place for treatment of his issues. Thankfully, I never saw him again, and I don't know what became of him. I can hope that he got the help that he needed, because this guy was most likely on the path to sexually assaulting some teen or woman, if he hadn't already. Very sad and scary story. My grandmother was told by her friend what had happened shortly after it happened. She asked her friend to watch out for me and let her know if it happened again. Later, she asked me why I didn't tell her about this. I didn't because I didn't think anything would be done about it. She then told me that someone had reported what he did to me and others to the school. I've been bouncing between a few different dating apps for a few years now, and while I'm still not in a long-term relationship, it hasn't all been bad. I've at least met a few people that have become good friends, but I did have one date that was very memorable for different reasons. I'll start by saying that I found my date on an app that was heavily used by the LGBTQ community. I'm a female, and I ended up coming across a woman that I'll refer to as Jody. She was gorgeous. She had a few pictures on her profile, but her bio was kind of lacking. 
She gave a few things about herself and what she was looking for in a partner, but that was about it. Unfortunately, I'm used to seeing a fake profile on occasion, and catfishers, so I was hesitant, but I guess I was thinking that I would either find a good date or find another account to report. I was surprised when I got a response back within a reasonable amount of time, and it didn't seem like a canned response. She greeted me, and made small talk about herself and what her interests were. She even apologized if she seemed dull and short-answered, as she explained that she was new to this, and just recently accepted who she was. This made me feel a bit better about her being a genuine person because it's normal for people to be withdrawn and shy. So, I was ready and willing to take her under my wing and help her feel comfortable with herself. We started talking more, and quite frequently. Daily, even. It all stayed within the app, though, as she said she wasn't ready to talk or text via phone. I could understand that, especially if she hadn't come out to her friends or family yet. So... It was probably about three weeks of us talking. I wasn't too confident that we would ever meet, or at least not in the near future, so I started accepting the fact that she may just be a new friend, which was fine. However, she did finally ask about meeting up, casually, for drinks or something, and I was all for it. Jody and I agreed to meet at a bar and grill that was about midway for both of us, She was already there when I showed up, and she looked just like her photos. Except, her hair was a little longer. She was sitting at the bar, looking around the front for what I would assume would be me. I walked over to her and she hugged me immediately, and had the biggest smile on her face. We ordered drinks and wings, and just continued our conversation from the app. It was like we knew each other for years. We could finish each other's sentences, we had the same sense of humor, and she just genuinely seemed to have a lot of fun. Like, I could tell that this was the true Jody. This was who she wanted to be. She grabbed my hand a few times and said that she really appreciated me being so patient with her. It wasn't a big deal to me. I would like to assume that anyone meeting new people would do the same, but I know that we don't live in a perfect world. Now, the date was going great, perfect, even in my opinion, but one thing that I noticed was how her phone went off quite a bit, and she would constantly look down at it. However, other than looking at it or swiping the notifications away, she stayed off of it, I'm sure many people would find it rude, and if she was constantly on it, I would probably have a different opinion on it, but I couldn't help but notice that when she did look at it, her mood seemed to change. Her smile would slowly fade, and then she would look back up at me and smile. At some point in the night, her phone lit up with a phone number that I couldn't see the name on. It was pretty obviously a phone call. It was obvious that it was getting to her based on her size and how her swiping to dismiss it was getting more and more eccentric. So, I just told her if you need to answer someone, I totally get it. She immediately started apologizing, and I assured her that I was not upset. 
It just seemed like maybe it was important, and I suggested that she take it if she needed to. She thanked me, and excused herself saying that she would be right back. I watched as she walked to the front and started talking on her phone. From the look on her face and her hand motions, I could tell that this was not a pleasant conversation. When it was finally over, she walked back and again apologized for it, and now visibly upset, she explained that it was her ex, and that they had split up over a month ago, but they wouldn't leave her alone. Given the situation we were in, and since she didn't say much more about them, I just assumed it was a bitter ex and I didn't want to ask because she obviously didn't want to talk about it. So, we pushed it aside, and continued with our date. After we finished our last drinks, we decided to head out for the night. I was pretty smitten with her, so when she looked down at her phone one more time and asked if she could spend some more time at my place, I agreed. She wanted to leave her car there and just get a ride home with me. We walked to my car, got in, and continued our conversation on our way home. The parking lot at my apartment was pretty limited, and since I was getting back late, I was going to have to parallel park. There was a car behind me, so I rolled down my window to let them go by before I started. As they were passing, they slowed down almost to a stop right next to me. At first, I was about to make a comment about them being in the way, when Jody said, Oh my god and then exclaimed that that was her ex's car. It was too dark for me to see a person inside. They may have had tinted windows, too. It was kind of hard to tell. But they did have a lighter-colored stripe down the side of the car, so I assumed that's how she could tell. I definitely was not ready to deal with an ex on a first date, but was ready to call the cops if necessary. So, after they finally passed me... I parked and got out, ready for confrontation with some crazy lady. What I did not expect was this burly football player guy to get out of the car. Crap. All I could think in my head was, he wouldn't start a fight with a girl, right? He immediately yelled at me, demanding to know who I was and what Jody was doing with me. Before I could say anything, Jody jumped in and said that I was a co-worker, that we had just had dinner, and that I was going to show her my guinea pig because she was thinking of getting one. I did have a guinea pig, though, so I guess that really wasn't a lie. I just stood there, letting her talk to see where this would lead. However, as his tone became more and more aggressive, I put my keys between my fingers and unlocked my phone. She was over on my side of the car, so... As he got closer and closer to her, I could tell that she was visibly shaken. I really didn't like where this was going, so I approached them, saying that he needed to step back, but before I could finish, I was punched in the jaw with enough force to make me fall backwards. I was trying to regain my composure and trying to figure out what exactly just happened when I heard Jody screaming. I stood up, and I saw that she had run to the other side of my car, and this guy had just grabbed her by the hair and was dragging her to his car. 
I was terrified. I'm far from being a small girl, but there was no way I was going to be able to stop this guy. I quickly dialed 911, but thought that I needed to do something right then and there for her. There was no way of knowing what would happen to her if he left with her, if he was willing to deck a total stranger and a girl at that. So I ran at them screaming for someone to call for help, shouting out my address and grabbing Jody from the front to hold her back. I was trying to hold her hair so that it wasn't ripped out, but he was fighting me the whole time. Thank God someone walking their dog noticed this and immediately ran over to us. He started fighting with the ex and the dog was biting ankles until he finally gave up. He let go of Jody and he turned his anger on this good Samaritan. He didn't really get any hits on him before the cops showed up though. He was detained and I sure as hell pressed charges. Once he was out of sight, we all talked to the cops and that's when I learned that this guy was just as abusive to Jody behind closed doors as he was to us that night in public. Jody had finally gotten the courage to split up with him, but he didn't accept that. She was very apologetic and embarrassed, but it's not like it was her fault, so I still invited her in to calm down. We talked more that night, and she did end up staying so that way she knew that she had a safe place to go, in case he somehow got out. To sum it up, Jody and I became pretty close. A romantic relationship didn't really work out for us, but she's become a really good friend, and in fact, we now live together. I at least was able to convince her to file a restraining order and block him on everything, so that she could finally stop hearing from him I do joke with her, though, that that was definitely the most memorable first date that I have ever been on. Hey there, friends. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. And I really hope that you all enjoyed this collection of scary stories. If you did, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel where I do these same stories, but a little bit earlier than I do them here on the podcast form, and also in slightly different collections. If you really enjoy the podcast, please do consider giving it a rating of any sort if the platform you're listening on has ratings. Any honest rating is appreciated by me, be it 5-star, 1-star, however you want to do it. Just know that rating the podcast helps tremendously. And, if you would like to support further, I do have a Patreon and channel memberships if you'd like to do things on the YouTube side, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get early access to my content. Never ever expected, but always appreciated. That said, friends, I hope that I do see you on the next episode of this podcast. And of course, until then, sleep well.